Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be the birds of the air. Let's begin today in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning in the 25th verse, it says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Verse 25 in the classic Amplified Bible says, Therefore I tell you, stop being perpetually uneasy, anxious and worried about your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall put on. Is not life greater in quality than food, and the body far above and more excellent than clothing? This chapter is talking about anxiety and worry which we see plaguing people all around us. Even the church is plagued with this. There's so many uncertainties today, especially concerning the future, and it's hard sometimes to even get our mind off of these things. This understanding causes there to be an uneasiness in people. It may not be something you can easily detect on the surface. Many times it's not. Many times it's something far more subtle, something that we can't easily articulate, or something that we can't articulate at all. Something that's just there. We don't know exactly what it is. We can't define it, but we feel uneasy in our spirit. And what does rise to the surface from that is worry and anxiety. Uneasiness is something that we've all felt at some point in our life. It's a strange mixture of fear of the unknown, discontentment, and sometimes even anger. Sometimes our lack of being able to define this leads those in the church to ignore it completely. They feel it too, but they don't know what's wrong, and they don't know how to fix it. So they just keep quiet and let the problem keep growing unimpeded. They see everything falling apart in the world. They see our society crumbling to pieces, but they just turn a blind eye as they go on their way. That can't be us. That's not what we're called to do, and that's not how we're called to live. Christ came to remove the burden. He came to take the uneasiness away and give us peace. Peace cannot coexist with uneasiness. One must yield to the other, and many Christians have allowed their hearts to be consumed by this uneasiness, leading to their daily lives being consumed in anxiety and worry. Verse 26 told us, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? It's interesting to note that Jesus used birds as an example for worry and anxiety. Why would he do this? Birds are a perfect example when it comes to these things. Other animals operate differently. Birds don't gather up and store food, but we find that ants do this. They gather food all summer long, and then have provisions for the entire winter. Squirrels do it also, along with many other types of animals. But birds don't. Birds don't plan for the future at all, but yet God feeds them and provides for them. They're always taken care of. God feeds them despite their lack of effort, despite their lack of prudence and foresight, 
Despite their lack of initiative and determination, God blesses and sustains them. We can learn a lot from this. Many get the wrong idea from this. They take what Jesus said and take it to mean that they should copy what the birds are doing, which is nothing. Then they put that into action, putting forth no effort, producing nothing, and then expect God to blindly provide for them. But this wasn't what Jesus was saying here. They do this to further suppress the uneasiness in their spirit, but it just masks it. It doesn't remove it. They just have a pseudo-faith, a faith not really rooted in anything substantial, especially not scripture. But it provides cover and an excuse to not put forth effort, which is exactly what they're looking for. He wasn't teaching us this for us to copy the birds. He was saying this so we can learn from them. There's a difference. This takes the form of laziness, which we know from scripture is never what God desires or expects from his people, and is never something that's acceptable. God's not looking for lazy people, and he doesn't use lazy people. Proverbs 13 and 14 says, The soul of the sluggard desireth, and have nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. 1 Timothy 5 and 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Proverbs 21 and 25 says, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Laziness is never okay, and it especially should never be tolerated in spiritual things. In the last verse that we looked at, the key phrase is refuse to labor. It didn't say unable to labor. It didn't say want to labor but can't. It said refuse to labor. That's laziness, the refusal to put forth effort. Second Thessalonians 3 and 10 says, For even we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. We find here again, it didn't say couldn't work. It didn't say wanted to work but couldn't find employment. It said would not work, which is the same as the refusal to labor that we just looked at. This is something that's a choice that they consciously and knowingly make, a choice to give in to their own carnal human nature, their own carnal sinful will. They think that Jesus is giving them a free pass to get out of working, a free pass out of providing for themselves and their family, a free pass out of exerting effort, but that couldn't be further from the truth. God didn't bless the birds and feed them because of their lack of effort. He blessed them despite their lack of effort. And if we're not careful, because of and despite of can be easily confused and mixed up which is a big part of why we see such laziness in the culture today. They just want to shake the money tree. They want God to just provide everything while they do nothing at all. They want God to sign blank checks while they just sit back and relax. That's not the way God works, and that's not the way the kingdom is set up. The kingdom is based on a sowing and reaping model, and every aspect of life works in that way. This is a dangerous ideology. And it leads a lot of people, especially Christians, finding themselves in a place of poverty, a place of want and discontent, and sometimes even a place of anger and resentment towards God. They get angry when God doesn't give them everything that they need and want, when really the problem isn't God, it's them. If they're going to be angry at anyone, they should be angry at themselves. They twist one passage to mean something that it was never meant to convey, and then get angry at God when he doesn't follow their perversion of his word. The vast majority of heresies and false doctrines come from isolating one passage or scripture on its own and taking it out of context and distorting it to say something that it doesn't actually say. The greater context of this verse reveals clearly that doing nothing will lead to no provisions. Proverbs 20 and 4 in the classic Amplified says, The sluggard does not plow when winter sets in. Therefore he begs and harvests and has nothing. A second wrong conclusion that people come to from this is on the opposite end of the spectrum. Many go the other way, and in order to overcome the uneasiness they have of the future, they overcompensate, they overwork, they try to overproduce, 
They try to lay up in the barns as much provision as they possibly can. This makes people frantic and leads to an unhealthy amount of stress, which only reinforces and adds to the original anxiety and worry they were experiencing. Their problem isn't that they try to do nothing, it's that they try to do everything. They're trying to do it all at once, they're trying to do it all themselves, and that leads to not much getting done at all. They stretch themselves so thin, they allow their attention and focus to constantly move and readjust to the next thing, that in reality, they're just distracting themselves from the uneasiness, they're not actually fixing it or removing it. They think if they just harvest more, if they just fill the barn with more provision, they won't have to worry. This leads to them becoming consumed with getting more and more, which can quickly become an obsession. These people are looking to their efforts to be their savior. They're looking to themselves to be their provider. And this leads to their own carnal will, attempting to usurp God's place in their lives, making the self an idol, which leads the person down a dangerous path. Matthew chapter 6 verses 30 to 33 in the Message Bible say, If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting, so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. These people become so self-involved that they're not open to receiving from God. God's trying to bless them and give them more, but they want to do it all on their own, apart from Him. It may not even be intentional. They might not actively be thinking that they're keeping God out of their life, but that's the effect of their perpetual focus on their work and their effort, which in their mind is never enough. It only serves to increase and reinforce their perpetual uneasiness. So what does this mean for us? When we have this uneasiness deep within our spirit, when we can't seem to feel any of the peace that we know that we should have, what do we do? Both of these are wrong mindsets. People either do nothing or they try to do everything themselves. But these are two opposite ends of the spectrum. So what's the right answer? If we're not to copy birds but learn from them, what exactly is it that we can learn? The key is that despite their lack of effort, God provides for them. For us, that means that if we do our best, if we do our work conscientiously, wholeheartedly, with determination, God will bless our best efforts and allow them to bear even more fruit than they could on their own. He'll take our harvest from good to great, from enough to get by to exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. That doesn't happen from doing nothing, and that doesn't happen by doing everything ourselves excluding God. God wants to work with us, not for us. That's how relationships work. If a relationship is always take, 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 and never give, that relationship won't last very long, because it has to go both ways, and it works the same way with God. If God provides for the birds, though they do nothing, how much more will He bless and provide for us when we do the very best we can? How much more will the fire of God come down when we put forth a real sacrifice of time and effort on the altar before Him? Luke 12 and 24 says in the Living Bible, Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or have barns or store away their food, and yet they get along all right, for God feeds them. Are you not far more valuable to Him than any birds? He provides for us because He values us, He cares about us, He loves us infinitely more than we could ever imagine. Since we love and value Him, we should always strive to do our best. We have to remember that we're the apple of His eye. Sometimes it's hard to remember this, especially when we make a mistake and slip up, especially at a point where we feel like we haven't done enough. We tried our best, but the devil tries to tell us that that wasn't good enough. We have to know that that's a lie, 
God only asks for our best, and then He'll take charge from there. And that way, when the seeds that we planted grow and it's time to reap, the sheaves that we bring in will be so beyond imagination that God will receive all the glory, not us, which is the purpose of not doing everything ourselves. When we try to do it all without Him, we attempt to rob from Him the glory that rightly belongs to Him. Let's go to Psalm 147. In Psalm 147, beginning in the fifth verse, it says, Great is our Lord, and of great power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God, who covereth the heaven with clouds, who prepareth rain for the earth, who maketh grass to grow upon the mountains. He giveth to the beasts his food, and to the young ravens which cry. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, and those that hope in his mercy. Verse 9 told us, He giveth the beasts his food, and to the young ravens which cry. Another element of this that we need to discuss is that not all provision is natural, some is spiritual. We need spiritual food and nourishment the same way that we need it in the natural, but even more so. Amos chapter 8 verses 11 and 12 say, Behold the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north, even to the east. They shall run to and fro, and seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. The word is our spiritual food, because it's the verbal expression of Jesus, who is the word, who is the bread of life, giving living water to his people. We know that we can't live by natural bread alone. We need to partake of the word to get our spiritual nourishment. But yet we find that just like in Amos' day, there's a famine, and it's a very severe famine. When famines occur in the natural, people need to look for food, which requires more effort to be exerted. It's not as easily accessible as it once was, and this causes people to wander. The same is true with the word. People desire it desperately, even if they won't openly admit it, and any morsel that they can find is sweet to the taste. These people want to taste the word, but they can't find it. Now we find the same two misconceptions happen on the spiritual side. People want to have the harvest and enjoy the word, but they put forth no effort to read and study the word. They make no attempt to hear it and allow it to go into their spirit so it can produce faith in their life. Then on the other end, there's the people that want the word, but never go to it, because they're going to figure out life all on their own. They know God's there, but they don't want help. They want to be independent. They appreciate God's offer to help, but they can do it on their own. Just like in the natural, these are deceptive, destructive ideologies, and they only serve to make the famine grow worse. They only serve to make the uneasiness become more perceptible, and they only add more fuel to the fire of anxiety and worry in a person's heart. They wander, wander in and out of faith, in and out of God's will, wander towards functional saviors that sell lies and promises that are never fulfilled. We find these people all around us. We might have even been one of them before we were saved. They're lost in a spiritual wilderness, perpetually wandering, perpetually uneasy, and perpetually searching for some provision. The birds don't do this. They take the word at face value. They believe that God says what He means and means what He says. They believe that God will provide, and they trust Him in faith, and He does provide, always, just like He promised He would. But man doesn't do this. Man doesn't take the word as written. He has to complicate it, doubt it, question it. He has to reason it out and find excuses why he can't believe it. This makes him wander deeper and deeper into the wilderness, and it's his own mind, his own self, his own concocted misconceptions that prevent him from the very thing he's looking for. God's not withholding food. 
Others aren't necessarily doing it either. He's doing it to himself. Especially on the spiritual side of this, there's another thing that we need to look at, which is where we find our provision. We know that the source is God. No Christian would ever debate that. In the natural, especially when we're children, we find our provision at home. There are some extreme cases, but for most people, when they're a child, they don't have to worry where their food is going to come from. It's just there. They just have to receive the food offered to them. We forget that as we grow older, we become so accustomed to having to find food ourselves, to go out and buy it ourselves, to cook and prepare it ourselves, that we forget those days when it was all done for us. But that's what the birds do. Matthew chapter 18 verses 2 to 4 say, And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is part of becoming like a little child. This is part of childlike faith. Our faith should be like that of a child. We should, like children, know that at home we can find all that we need. We can find provision and sustenance. The same is true of our spiritual home. If we can't find spiritual food at the house of God, then we definitely won't find it anywhere else. Church is where we go to be fed. Church is home. Proverbs 27 and 8 in the ESV says, Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. People are straying from home. They're starting to wander, looking for food in other places. For the people of God, this is a source of all that uneasiness that we feel deep down inside. This is what leads us to fear for the future. This is what leads to us falling prey to the devil's oppressions of anxiety and worry. If we want to fix it, we need to come back home. We need to get back to the house of God. The birds don't worry. They don't take thought for tomorrow. This isn't to say not to plan for the future. That's good, and we should do that. But we can't exclude God from those plans. And we can't restrict the spirit by giving him no room to move. We have to trust him daily to give us our daily bread, to give us all that we need. And we'll find him when we put forth our best effort. He'll put forth his best too. That's why with God, the best is always yet to come. God will take the uneasiness away if only we'll let him. We can't allow ourselves to become comfortable with uneasiness, accepting it as a new normal. That's a lie from the devil. We have to let God remove it and cast it away forever. Then peace will fill that void, and our worries will cease to be. Trusting is the key to peace. Without it, we won't receive it. Isaiah 26 and 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. The key phrase in this verse is because he trusts. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are our provider, that every need and every want is perfectly met in you, and that you meet those needs every time. Lord, we thank you that you are all in all, and that you are everything. Lord, today we rebuke the worry, we rebuke the anxiety, we rebuke the fear for the future that has taken a hold of so many minds and hearts of your people today. Lord, it can't be permitted to stay that way. It has to change. And we thank you that it is going to change, and that with you the best is always yet to come. We thank you that today we're free to have peace and we're free to trust in you. And we thank you that the lives of all those around us are going to see their need for peace. And when they see it in our life, that they're going to know that they can have it in their life too. And we thank you that when we put forth our best effort, although it may not be enough on its own in the natural, that you're going to take that and use it for your glory. And then that will go and bear fruit that will bring honor and glory to your name. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you're doing right now, and all that you're going to do. And Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, if you want to be free from worry and anxiety and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.